Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, it is a, a cooler morning. Uh, on the way here, one of my boys said, have we been in here since it's been a cold morning? Uh, this is the first time, and the heater works, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, my name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. I'm on staff as the pastor over preaching and vision. So if we haven't met, I'd love to, to meet you at some point. I'm going to point out a couple things and then we'll jump in to God's word this morning. We have, uh, after today, we only have three weeks of First John left. We have a bunch of these left on the table back there. They are going for the uh, small price of free. So if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. It's the, the book of First John. Um, it could be useful for you in the, in the coming days. For all of you who, who spent $3 on it, you're thinking, oh, I should have waited. No, you shouldn't have. Thank you. Um, you can go ahead and pick one of those up, give it to a friend, or, or keep it uh, for future, future study. Um, also back there still are, are the pieces of art that were made for this. And then um, I do want to point out, there's another book on there. It's First Come, First Serve. They're free. Uh, and, and I want to offer this book. It's related to something we're talking about this morning, something we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, a book that just came out, and we got um, a, a free case of it, and so I want to give it away. It's called Rediscover the Church. So if you're in a place personally where you are, are trying to navigate for yourself uh, what's the meaning of church, what's the purpose of church, that may be where you are. You're struggling with what is the church and why, why have I always been connected to it and maybe I shouldn't be uh, or maybe I don't want to be? If that's where you are, I'd encourage you to pick one of these up on the table back there. Read it. I'd love to have a conversation with you about it, hear what you've learned. Or if you know someone um, who may be struggling through some of those things, it, it may be something that you would give to them. Now, don't be passive and be like, hey, here's a book for you. Read this. Read it yourself and then say, hey, I'd love to talk through these things with you. So they're there. Um, for you if you'd like to take one of those as well. Why the body of Christ is essential. If you have your Bible, um, go ahead and grab it and turn to the book of 1 John. We have been working through the book of 1 John over the last several weeks. We'll continue today into chapter 4. Over the last several weeks, I've been telling you how to get there if you don't know how it is, and I've started from the beginning and gone this way. If you've get, gotten to Revelation, come back the other way some. So 1 John is a, is a small book right before the very end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 4 is what we're looking at this morning. Um, if you ha- have found it and once you are able, I'm going to invite you to join me in standing uh, as we read from God's Word. The first six verses, very short passage, but a passage that's very poignant for us where we are currently in this cultural moment. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, 
which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. We titled this series uh, several weeks ago, No Love, and that's because the, there's prevalent themes throughout the book. One of them is that we can know God and God knows us, and we can know that certainly, um, and that he has loved us, and we are called to love others as, as he's loved us in Christ. Another prevalent theme is sin, and we've seen that throughout the book as well. And, and you remember why John has written the letter, written this letter to the church in Ephesus. This wasn't um, based on an, an, on an explicit sin necessarily or a problem in the church that they were currently facing that they needed to get after quickly, like some of the letters that are in, in our Bibles. But the purpose of this letter was to combat those who had broken away from the church to believe things that were, were not in line with the teachings of Jesus. So this was just a a, a sort of a common, like, hey, there are people who are, are leaving, and they're not believing the things of Jesus, and they're not believing the common things that we've believed um, for ages, and so we need to combat that. And so John writes to the church to warn them that some have walked away, and he writes to encourage those who do believe to continue in the faith, to endure in the faith, to, to stand firm, to know God. To be known by God, to be marked as a people, as a church, to love one another. Now listen, this is a letter written hundreds of years ago, but couldn't this letter be written to us today, right? I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but um, what we're seeing right now as as a local church, but also as the church, is fascinating to me. It's actually heartbreaking to me. That many who have been a part of the church are taking some time to pull away from the church to rethink what they truly believe about the church, and they're doing most of that in isolation from the church. We've seen this happen over and over. Some have pulled away based on what they believe about all kinds of things, what they believe about race and social justice issues, pull away, I'm going to try to rethink these things. Some have pulled away based on issues related to, to gender and sexuality, I'm going to pull away, try to trying to think through these things and what I believe. Some have pulled away from the church because they've experienced some relational trauma or abuse from leadership in the church. Whatever the case, these things are very real to the people who are experiencing them. And so what, what has happened and what we've seen over and over is that they pull away from the church to rethink what they believe about the church in isolation from the church. First John could be written to us in 2021. There's an alarming trend in the American church right now of people walking away from biblical Christianity. Now, some may hear me say that and respond, well, biblical Christianity as you would define it, Vince. And so let me, um, let me help us define it uh, by, by giving you some insight into a recent survey that come out uh, that, that's come out. A recent survey polling uh, people in the ages between uh, 18 and 55. 
Right, that's, a, that's a young age group. That's what I'm, I'm just going to call it young, right? This week I turned 46. So we're still in that young age group, right? So the 18 to 55-year-old range. Those who were surveyed in that 18 to 55 age bracket, 70% of those who identified as Christians. Now, the, let, me, let me tell you how this survey identified them as Christians. So it wasn't like, yeah, I'm, an, I'm a Republican, so I'm a Christian. It wasn't that sort of thing. It wasn't just loosey-goosey sort of, yeah, I'm a Christian. There were some questions, and the questions were, have you ever made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in your life today? So these people said yes. And the other question was, do you believe that you will go to heaven because you confessed your sins and have accepted Jesus Christ as your only Savior? So it's a fairly, I mean, it's a fairly straightforward, are you a Christian? Now, there's some other things we could get into, but, but that's how they identified Christians. So this survey uh, says that 70%, 70% of those categorized between the ages of 15, uh, 18 and, and 55 believe today that other religions also lead to eternal life with God. 70%. Let me just put that in context for us. Let's say there's about 200 people in this room. It may feel like 500 to the parents, but 200 people in this room, 140 of you believe that other religions also lead to eternal life with God. If you look down your row and there are 10 people in your row, only three of them believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Now, don't, don't look down and say, I wonder who it is. That, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> We're just trying to put that in context for us. This is, the, this is the season we are in today, friends. This is where we are. And the younger the age group, the more troubling that stat becomes. When it drops to the 18 to 39 years old, really, really young, 18 to 39 years old, it jumps up to 80%. 80% would believe that all religions are teaching valid ways to God. This is the season we're in, and I don't see it slowing down. And that has implications for us. Of those surveyed, I'll just keep, keep on here with the survey. Um, those who identified as Christians, according to the parameters of the survey, uh, just over half of them, just over half of them said that they've talked about their faith with someone else uh, with the intent of converting them. So just about half of them, right? And, and of those half, they only did that once a year. That means that, that just about half of them have never talked to anyone about their faith and don't have plans to. And the number one reason given for why people don't talk about their faith with the intent of winning someone to their faith in Jesus is, this is a quote, because we live in a day where pluralism is accepted. So I'm just not going to talk about it. Now, pluralism, if you're not familiar, is the thought that many different religions can coexist. You've seen the bumper sticker. That's what it is, that, that they can coexist and all basically end up kind of in the same realm. Now, here are the top three re written reasons, responses to why they said, yep, I'm, I'm not going to talk to anyone about my faith. Here's, here's what they were. It's a quote, if they can get to heaven through their different religions, then what's the point of telling them about mine? They would believe that. Uh, the second is, we shouldn't impose our ideas on others. We shouldn't impose that on others. And then the third was, the Bible tells us not to judge people. 
That was the, the third response given for why they would not. This is the season we are in as a, a church, as a church, the church. This is the season we're in. And, and I'll stop uh, here in just a second, but here's the crux of the matter. Just keep going with the survey a little bit. Here's the crux of the matter, and I think the biggest threat and the way that the enemy, our enemy, is breaking in to destroy is the reason for, for all of this. A, a survey related to this one that, that they got some information from back in 2018, so not that long ago, three years ago, revealed that only 56% of Christians, 56% of Christians believe that God is who he says he is as described in the Bible. That means 44% of the people who call themselves Christians don't actually believe the Bible is true when it comes to defining who God is. So who is? Who is true? Right? Self. I get to define that. The first step toward the decline in all of this, I think, is what we've seen locally as elders. The first step toward all of that is, is a, a distancing from the Christian community, specifically the church. Right? Some would think, well, they just stopped reading their Bible and that's how it went. No, I think it, the first step we've seen is people distancing themselves from Christian community. And then the decline begins to spiral from that. That's the season we're in. And the problem with this way of thinking, here's the problem with this way of thinking. Can we just talk truth for a second? There is a God who defines himself in the truth of his word. There is a God who defines himself, right? There is a God who has determined what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is not sin. There's a God who's done that. We don't get to do that. There's a God who is also angry toward that sin and angry toward disobedience. He has a right to be. There's a God who requires the penalty of death for those who willingly and habitually go against his commands and do not trust in his son as the only way to eternal life. There is a God. There is a God who loves to the extent, we need to hear this, there is a God who loves to the extent that he would give his only son to pay the penalty that he's requiring. We have that. So all of this matters. In simple terms, the, the problem with this season that we're in is that it flies in the face of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the truth that's found in Scripture, but it's so appealing, isn't it? It just feels so good to pull in that direction. It's attractive. It plays with our desires. We want the easy way. We want what feels accepting. And so we, we have to be discerning and we have to check our hearts. And I, I mentioned this um, briefly last week, but what does Jeremiah tell us about our hearts? Our hearts are deceptive and they're wicked. So yeah, we can check our hearts, but, but we know our hearts, right? And so we, we desperately need others around us. We cannot do these kinds of things in isolation. We need the Christian community around us. We must be discerning when it comes to our thoughts about the God of the Bible, matching up what we feel and what we've experienced, which feels real, with what is true in God's Word, not the other way around, right? We have to be discerning. We have to be discerning when we read articles and books, which we all like to do. We have to be discerning when we do that. We have to be discerning when we hit website after website about what this person believes or how I can believe. We have to be discerning when we listen to podcasts. 
I'll be completely honest with you. You have to be discerning when you listen to me, because I say some goofy stuff at times. You have to be, Zachary, I saw you nodding. (laughs) You have to be discerning when you listen to to people who are preaching. That's That's a call on you. Don't just walk in here and think, yeah, well, I guess it's true. He said it. No, be discerning. Now, my heart is that, my, my hope is that I'm speaking what's true, and that's been my prayer, but you have to be discerning. God has given us brains and a responsibility to actually use them. God has given us his word and the spirit then to guide us. John, the author of what we just read, was all on to all of that. Now, that was just my intro, right? Um, John was on to all of that. He knew that there were people all around them who were struggling to believe the truth. He knew that well because they were once a part of the church, but then went out from the church to show that they were not actually a part of the church to begin with. And so in the midst of his talking about love for one another, and right before he talks about God's love toward us, which we'll get to next week, he he pauses and he calls the reader to be discerning. What is of God? What is of the world? You've got to be discerning. When it comes to our knowledge of God the Father and God the Son, we've, we must have discernment about what we read, hear, and think. And so John calls us to discernment because there are very attractive options out there that will shipwreck your faith. Lead others astray. And ultimately, it's a rejection of the gospel. And so John starts in, cha- in chapter 4, verse 1, to give his friends a command to be discerning. This command of discernment, he says, beloved, there's a term of affection again. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. He, he loves these friends. He's but beloved, do not believe every spirit. And what John means by spirit here is the, the spiritual forces, either demonic spirits or spirits of God. What we need to see here is that there are spiritual for, forces at work, and our role is to discern if they are of God or not. And so John starts by, by saying, basically, don't believe everything you hear. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you hear, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Don't listen to everything you hear and just simply believe it because you've heard it. There are forces at work waging war with each other, and they display themselves in the actions and the words of people around you. And John says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are people who are teaching wrong doctrine, attractive, enticing, but false doctrine and they've left the church and they've gone out into the world don't believe everything you hear but test the spirits be discerning look to see what is of God what is from God it's the command from John to his friends that's the command to all believers to be discerning and trust those things that are of God and how are we to do that How are we to be discerning? How are we to to sort those things out? How are we to test the spirits? That's what John is getting at in in verses 2 and and 3, this test of discernment. He says, yeah, we're supposed to test it. Here's what this test of discernment looks like. How are we to be discerning? There there are ways that we could go about this, right? And, and, And we've done this in multiple ways. All of us have. We could be passive, that we could be passively discerning, 
And, and the way that we do that is we just lock ourselves in our houses and we don't think about anything else that's out there. We don't um, listen to anything. We just listen to the same things over and over. We read from the same people all the time. Uh, we would never be influenced by, by the world at all. We're passively discerning. We've got our heads in the sands and we just think, I, I don't know. I'm going to be discerning by just staying here in my own bubble. We could be active in our discernment and we could grab torches and we could go out on heretic hunts, right? And we could just hunt them down. We'd find out who they are. Maybe overly active in some cases, not really allowing the truth to lovingly wash over us and bring us to rejoicing in that truth, but we're just active, out there, angry. Or we could patiently listen to the things that seem to be surrounding us in this cultural moment and match them up then to what we know to be true from God's Word, so, uh, straining out the worldly lies through a colander of biblical truth, where we just... We just hold the Bible and we just sort of sift out those things and see what falls. John tells us how to test what's going on around us. He teaches us the tests of discernment. He says in verses 2 and 3, you can tell who's of God. You can tell who's influenced by his spirit. You can tell that by this. What's the test? Everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to earth is from God. And if not, that person is not from God. Not only that, he goes on, but these people are, are, are of the spirit of the Antichrist. Now remember, we're not pinpointing a person. This isn't a person in this day and age, right? This isn't Elon Musk or Joe Biden or Walt Disney. That we're, not, we're not thinking of a person. This is those who have opposed Jesus. John is saying either you believe that Jesus came to earth fully divine, fully human as Messiah, or the other option is you oppose Christ. You either believe what God's word says to be true about Jesus or you oppose him. You either believe Jesus is who he says he is or you oppose him. It's a pretty simple test, right? There are only two ways of of looking at this test. You either believe that God is loving and shows his love toward us by sending his son to earth as an atonement for our sins, sin that he was already, uh, that he has already defined. We don't get to define it. He's already defined it. He sent his son because he requires perfect obedience, and that perfect obedience is not based on what we believe obedience is, but based on what he's already said is true in Scripture. And knowing that we would never accomplish that perfect obedience, he sent his son to be perfectly obedient for us and pay the penalty of our sin that through faith we would have life with him. We get that, right? We, we get to have that. that. That's an option. Or, the other option, you believe that God is loving. Yep, yep, yep. And I get to define then what love is and what feels right and accepting to me and according to my own experiences of what sin is or isn't, thus making who God? You. Maybe that's over, overly simplistic, but John calls us to be discerning, to test these things. He says, by this you will know the Spirit of God. We can know these things. Now, you may be thinking, but Vince, that's not what John says in verse 2. He, he says you just have to believe that Jesus came to earth, right? Is that, is that all he's saying? Oh, just believe that he came to earth? Is that all? Because Buddhists believe that, and Mormons believe that, and all sorts of cults believe that. Is that what he's getting at? There, there's got to be more to it than just that. What John is getting at here 
is that you believe that Jesus is who he says he is in all that he says he is. There are some who say that Jesus came to earth, but he wasn't God. And there are some who say that that Jesus came to earth and he was God, but he wasn't human. And both of those are wrong. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, sent from God the Father, came to earth in flesh, fully God, fully human. He had to be both. Why? For the atonement of sin. If he was only human, his dying on the cross was accomplished nothing because he also was sinful. Uh, But he wasn't sinful. He was God. It's because he was fully human and fully God that he was able to be the mediator between us and God. And he was able to be our representative for obedience. And he was able to be the perfect sacrifice required by God. He had to be both God and man. So John is saying those who confess all of that to be true are of God. He's not just saying, oh yeah, he came to earth. Believe that. He's not just saying E.T. came to earth, right? Only those in that 55 category understood that. Those who only grab onto that part of the story, the parts that seem appealing or the parts that feel accepting, oppose Christ. So really the test of the sermon flows from the truth of Scripture that Jesus did come to earth as human and fully God to pay the penalty of sin that by faith we would live. The test of discernment comes from the truth of Scripture. Hear this, hear this. The test of discernment comes from the truth of Scripture rightly applied to all of life in the context of the accountability of the community of Christians around you. It comes from all of that. What's the outcome of this test of discernment? What's the outcome? The, the outcome of this test of discernment is what we're looking for, right? Every test has an outcome. Every test has a result. We're well aware of this at this point, right? Because we've spent the last several months anxiously awaiting that COVID test, right? We all get that every test has an outcome. How many of you have anxiously awaited the pregnancy test? How many of you have anxiously awaited your SAT test? Every time the, the door opens in the hospital for us. We're anxiously awaiting a test from the doctors. We know that every test has an outcome. Every test has some results that come with it. The outcome of this test of discernment, John encourages his reader in verse 4 with great affection again, saying, little children, not belittling them. He's saying, my my friends, my my disciples, you are of God, and you've already overcome those who oppose Christ. You've already done it. How? You are of God. You've already overcome those who oppose Christ. How? By rejecting their false teaching. This is not something you do on your own. He goes on, God, the Holy Spirit who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who's that? The enemy, right? Satan and this spirit, the Holy Spirit has caused you to overcome the spirit of those opposing Christ. The outcome of the test of discernment is that you, by the Spirit's help, have overcome the opposition to Christ with the truth of God's word, with the truth of God. So John says in verse 5 that those opposing Christ are from the world, not God. And because of that, they speak from the world. They teach the things that are not of Jesus. And those of the world listen to it. They eat that stuff up. They're drawn to its appeal. Aren't we experiencing that? Yeah, a thousand podcasts I'm listening to, and they're all right. How's that possible, Right? We just lean in the direction of wanting more and more and more and more and more information of what feels good. And we just circle ourselves with 
things that we want to hear. We're experiencing this. Our world is currently redefining what sin is, not based on the Bible, but based on feeling and based on experience. Sexuality has been redefined by whatever you want it to be so long as there is love. Gender has been redefined to be whatever you believe it is based on what makes you happy for the moment. True religion has been swapped with political religion. And on and on we could go. Everything right now revolves around one person. Who is it? Self. Revolves around that. And that is in opposition to the truth of the gospel found in God's word. And those who have been deceived will listen to the world and they find it very attractive and they find it very appealing and they eat that stuff up. We're living in the middle of this right now. The flip side of that, though, John tells us in verse 6, he says, we, meaning the apostles, that's who he's getting at, we, he's talking about the, the, the disciples, the apostles, those who are with Jesus, we are from God, and if you know God, you will listen to us. You won't listen to those who have broken away from the church with their own truth. They did not walk with Jesus. They are not from God. They're in opposition to Jesus. The children of God listen to, to the people of God. Those who oppose Jesus listen to themselves and others who will agree with them. And so John says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's the, that's the outcome. That's the conclusion of this outcome. By these things we know the truth and error. By these things we are able to be discerning. By these things we know the outcome of this test. And here's the issue, friends, for us. We live in an age where information is fed to us very quickly and in mass quantities, and everything is acceptable if it sounds kind of right. If you believe it's acceptable, then by golly, it's acceptable. It's difficult to know if this author is writing true things about God or not. How do we know if this podcast is saying the right thing? On and on. Right? Well, I've already said that. There are so many ways to be pulled away towards something more appealing, something more attractive to you based on what you are currently experiencing. And how do we know what is true and what is of error? How do we know? John says the result, the outcome of this test is whether or not they listen to the apostles. Now, this isn't an arrogant statement. So don't hear John being like, hey, if you just listen to me, things would be better. It's not an arrogant statement. What is John saying? What's he saying? Really what he's saying is, whoever listens to the truth of God, that, that the apostles have been speaking for ages, whoever listens to, to, to historical foundational Christianity that the apostles have been speaking about for ages, whoever denies or shoves aside or minimizes the truth of God's word is in error. They're, they're in error. It's not an arrogant statement. He's just saying, if you come alongside the community that's always been speaking these things, you know you're of God. I want us to be growing in this together. In our ability to know truth from error, in our ability to know right from wrong, Eric is spending so much time in building a curriculum, building classes for us as a church to know what the Bible is actually speaking about, right from wrong, what is biblical, what is not. Often what happens is, is people in the church who begin to have questions, we've seen this over and over, begin to have questions about, about what they've always believed or about what the church is teaching. They, they have those questions and they begin to feel ashamed or embarrassed when they begin to have those questions. 
Now listen, that's on us. That in some ways, we, we've caused people to feel ashamed in their questioning. We've caused them to feel embarrassed, as if, as, as if you don't have questions. We all do. They feel ashamed and embarrassed, and when they begin to have questions about what they believe, where do they go? They don't come to the people who have embarrassed them. They go outside where they feel accepted to sort through all of these questions with people outside the the context of the local church community. The world is all for accepting those who are, here's the, the new word, who are deconstructing their faith. The world just wants that. Yeah, come, come to us. We'll help you sort through that. We'll sell you books on that. We'll help you sort of map that out and see how you can tear that all apart. The world is all for accepting those who, who and, and inviting people in who want to do that. That should not be a shock to us. That should not be a shock. Paul, in what was probably his last letter written before he was probably killed for his faith, wrote this warning to his young friend Timothy about what was to come. He says, for the time is coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Friends, that time is now. The time's now. When, when Paul says the time is coming, it's now. Our own friends and our own family members are not enduring sound teaching, but they're wandering off, and we have to be discerning and be able to test what is being taught, and we have the very truth from God that we can labor over to learn. Here's what I want to do this morning. You may, you may think, well, how, how can we be discerning? What are some, what, what are some tools? What are some, some tips? I just want to leave us with, with eight questions to be asking. You may think, eight questions? My kids are already going nuts. I'm about to strangle one of them. Just quickly, quickly, quickly. Eight questions, we'll be finished. As we think about be, being discerning students, as we, we, we take in different teachings that we're being bombarded with, the first one's already up there. How does this teaching, whatever I'm hearing, whatever I'm reading, whatever I'm listening to, whatever I'm learning, how does this teaching affect my view of God? Is God being magnified? Is he being promoted as the one, the one who has taught us all things, or, or is he being diminished in some way? How does, how does this teaching affect my view of God? Secondly, how does this teaching affect my view of Jesus? How does it affect my view of Jesus? Does it point to him as the only Savior and King? Or, or does this subtly shift the focus to me and some experience that I have? Now I'm the one who's got to get myself out of my troubles. I, I am now the Savior. Does this affect my, my view of Jesus. Third, how does this teaching affect my view of the Scripture? Did the teaching that I've just heard or, or, or the things that I've just listened to or, or read, did it agree with God's Word? Or did you thumb through the pages and not see a reference to Scripture at all? Does it increase my love for the Word or downplay it as just one of the options that's out there for, for truth? Or, or is, is the Bible an outdated book that is to be used only when helpful? Is that that's, that's how it's promoted? Fourth, how does this teaching affect my view of self? Does it feed self, promote 
self? How, how does it um, promote my pride or my humility? How's it, how's it affect my, my view of self? Fifth, how does this teaching involve the Christian community? Or does it? Is this some, hey, go off on your own in isolation and learn this alone? Or how does it involve the Christian community? Does it, does it cause me to withdraw? Here, here's this. Here's what we're, a lot of us are doing. Does it, does it cause me to try to find fault in the Christian community in some way? Is it, is, it, is it pushing me in that direction where I've got to exalt myself in superiority so I can look at the church and see all the wrong things they're doing? Now, now there's critique involved. There, there has to be critique, for sure. But is that what it's promoting? How does this teaching affect Christian community and how I'm involved? Six, how does the teaching affect my view of evangelism? Does it encourage me to just keep quiet because there's lots of options out there and this is for you and it's a personal thing and just keep that to yourself? Or does it push you out to speak the truth of the gospel? Seventh, how does this teaching affect my relationship to the things of this world? Or does it lead me to pursue worldly riches? You get yours, right? This is about you. This is your best life now. Does it cause you to think about your own reputation? I, I've got to figure this out and I've got to move in the right direction. I, does it cause you to think about your own pleasures and the things that, that, that will not last into eternity? Or does it set those things out clearly as temporary? And then finally, eighth, the one we don't want to do. How does this teaching affect my view of sin? We don't want to do that one. We want to shove that one aside. Does it cause me to tolerate sin in my own life or, or to turn from it and desire holiness? Does it cause me to accept sin in others as a possible way of life that leads to God also? Does, it, does the teaching cause me to see my sin as a separation from God? It pushes me away from God. Or does the, the teaching in whatever way I'm taking it in, does it, does it cause me to think, well, it's not really that big of a deal. It's just a little fracture and we can get on with life. Friends, we're in a season where many are working through what they truly believe. What they, what they truly believe. Just working through that. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in a place this morning, you happen to, to walk in here this morning, and you're wrestling through some of these same things. If it's not you, I'm certain that you have people around you who are currently deconstructing their faith, trying to figure this out. And so many are doing that currently without the foundation of the truth of God's Word. The call on true believers is to test the spirits to see if they are from God or not. And the way that we do that is through the truth of God found in God's word in the context of community around us for accountability. That's how we do that. My prayer for us is that we would know what is truth, that we would know what is error, so that we would be able to know God's love and at the same time be able to effectively and lovingly communicate it to those who are currently right now rejecting it or on their way out. My prayer for us as a body that we'd be an accepting place, not an, a place of embarrassment, not a place where we'd be shoving people out when they have questions, but a, a group of people who says, hey, that's a great question. Can we look at God's word and see what it says? 
Can we look at God's word and see what it says? Can we look at God's word and see what it says? Can we look at God's word and see what it says? Over and over and over. That's my hope. God, um, you have given us your word. I don't ever want to take that for granted. Week, week after week after week, we walk through a passage in, in your truth. And I don't want that to become old to us. I want that to be something that's new and, and um, profound to us weekly. That we have your truth given to us. We have ways in which we can know you are God through your word. God, I'm certain there are people here this morning who are wrestling through what they truly believe about you. And so my prayer is that that you would meet them. Spirit, that you would um, help them. If they're truly yours, God, 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 that the Spirit would help them. Would you work in them to, to help them to see what is true? Would you give them courage to ask hard questions, but but to, to seek answers to those questions in, in the truth of God's word and in the truth of your word in the context of people around them helping them who will love them. God, my prayer for us as a church is that we would never be the kind of place that causes shame or embarrassment for those who may be questioning. Help us, God. For those who are struggling, God, would you, would you be near them this morning? I pray that no one would walk out of here this morning with, with more doubt than, than what they walked in here with, that they would know that you are near. And God, for those who are walking very closely with people who have, who have stepped away from the church, who have at least for a season turned their backs on you, would you give us courage to stand with them? Would you give us endurance to walk with them through the long process of pointing them back to you. I pray that we would not be the kind of stat that says we don't want to share our faith with others because uh, people can believe whatever. No, we have good news. We have the gospel, and so I pray that you would give us courage. And God, now as we celebrate this very gospel, I pray that we would celebrate with, with joyful hearts the truth that's found in your word that Jesus gave his life Perfectly God, perfectly man, gave his life to pay the penalty of our sin, not his, so that we, in faith, could have life with you forever. Help us to celebrate all of these things, we pray, this morning. Amen.